Welcome to episode 57 of the Book Horse Pod. Uh, I'm Kristen. I am virtually here with Kate and Chris as usual. And today we are wrapping up Catalyst by James Luceno. Um, chapters not no, coming to the, the end. It's the wrap up. Sorry. It's the, ra- it's the wrap up. I just changed <laughs> the outline notes because I forgot to update it from the last time when we were actually reading chunks of chapters chapters. 22 to the end by now you should have read the whole book yes because it's a good one it's true and keeks is just having a time right now because she only just watched the uh the sizzle reel for season seven of the clone wars because apparently that's happening i am going to lose my fucking mind and you i cannot believe that five is in the trailer even with just his voice i am so upset (laughs) Yes, we will. Um, just follow orders, Keeks. <sighs> I, 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 how dare you? I just, Chris! I fucking, uh, I just, mm. Chris, I'm going to need you to rein it in. We're, okay, we have on the outline at the end, we're talking, we're, we're doing TCW screaming, but until then. Yes, we didn't do any just now. Absolutely I not. I promise. No. Yeah, no. That's, <laughs> yeah, um, if, if, you, if it's been. Five days, and you've somehow managed to avoid the massive news that Clone Wars is coming back. I'm honestly shocked. Congratulations. I know, right? Like, I'm kind of impressed. Like, where where were you hiding with no internet? Speaking of massive news, what are you guys drinking? Mmm. I am... I am drinking... Oh, shit. I forgot already what the brand of this... Oh, anyway. My friend, my friend got me some wine for my birthday. Um, so this is, I think, Orlana Vino Verde. So oh. I am having that. Yeah. What about you, Chris? What about you, Kristen? <laughs> Are you not drinking, Chris? You could just say it. Geeks, don't ask questions you don't want to know the answer to. <laughs> <laughs> this is a good callback from a part of the conversation where we weren't recording. Yep. Um, oh, my God. I am drinking a Deschutes Black Butte Porter because it was literally the only thing in the fridge. Pretty <laughs> sure this says Best Buy Two twenty one seventeen. So I think this is from when Josh Strongen. No, I have no idea when. No, that he was here much before that. When the fuck was this from? Probably like the first time Miranda and Molly got here. Because Black Pete Porter's like quintessential Pacific Northwest, but I never feel like drinking it. But I was like, I'll have some. It's still fine. <laughs> yeah. Nice. You know, you know those moments where you just like remember a time where you were embarrassing and just like cringe a little bit like just randomly in your mind yes that's constantly yeah well yes but every time i hear someone talk about deschutes i think of that because we were in a restaurant kate i think you were here for this we were in a restaurant and i was like looking over the beer menu and i was like really tired and like apparently dyslexic because i tried to order like a dort a deutsch porter (laughs) and the waiter looked at me like i was insane I don't remember this. What we were at uh, we were at Kava with my parents. <laughs> we're at where? Oh my God. Kava with my parents before the wedding. Kava, oh. Meze. a restaurant I miss. 
it's a good it's a good restaurant. It's a good restaurant no, I don't I don't remember this probably because I was thinking about the wedding. <laughs> probably <laughs> can't imagine. But what, yeah, so what every time somebody mentions to shoots, I, know, right? I like dual like uh, my eye twinges a little bit. It's fine. That's fine. I think this is the first time I've had black beet porter. I think this is the first time I've had a porter on the show. So I think so too. I actually. think so too. Yeah. It's it's I... a solid porter. When when the when I was able to tell the wait staff what it is that I fucking wanted, I got it and it was great. Yeah, it's only like five point two. It comes in at thirty IBUs. Um, but yeah, uh, they bottle condition it. I think. Um, I don't know what that does to it. I'll tell you at a later date. <laughs> But um, <laughs> no, don't tell anyone. Make them tune into the Tashi Station Brew House. T- tune into S- Tashi Station Brew House, where I ask Brian what bottle conditioning beer means <laughs> <laughs> after I Google it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's it's a super solid porter. It's really approachable for people who think they don't like porters. It's not too sweet. It's not too coffee. It's not it's not too anything. It's just re- really tasty. So the, it's one of their more famous one of the beers they're more famous for. There we mm-hmm. go, words. Nice. <sighs> Chris isn't drinking. Um, oh, the other thing we did is we read the short story at the end of this book, which was originally published in a Star Wars magazine, I think, right? Yep. yep. It's originally from Star Wars Insider. It is Voice of the Empire by Mira Lafferty. Yeah, it was good. Um, so <laughs> I think we're going to start off talking about that, and then we're going to get into the wrap-up and do some socials and then we're probably going to yell about the clone wars so that's yep. what we're doing that is um yep that is on the docket for today yep what do you guys think of voice of the empire so um it's a good it's a good solid short story there's not really a whole lot to talk about beyond i think the not quite a twist but like what happens at the end um that gives the rest of the story its significance um so we've got um calliope ruth drouth whatever i don't know how to say her name we've got calliope who's a um holonet reporter and uh before her boss leaves she basically leaves her this busted ass old droid with a lot of codes and signals so that um while she's broadcasting she can um convey messages to whoever in the rebel alliance might be watching um which is awesome and i don't know it's just like i just wanted to talk honestly about that one point personally from that from the story because it is just some really awesome like spy shit that we don't really get to see anywhere else in star wars at least not thus far like um obviously we've had three different fulcrums who are ostensibly doing some sort of espionage because cassian's role as fulcrum and like in the rebellion is kind of doing spy stuff right so Mm -hmm. but uh, we don't actually see him really doing spy stuff besides like murdering that one dude (laughs) um so yeah I thought it was great. Obi-Wan turning into someone else to do covert spy shit in the Clone Wars. Yes, there is that. (laughs) Yeah, we're just going to tie everything in this conversation back to the Clone Wars today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, I thought thought it was really interesting. Um, Do you mind if I go, Chris? No, go. Thanks. Um, No, but I mean, like, I I think absolutely spy shit is great. But also, like, we we see in the... um, we see in the short story that so her boss leaves her this busted droid that she's done some shit to obviously um 
And basically, like, we see the message that she left, or at least part of it. Um, and she's basically like, this mission, if you choose to accept it, is dangerous and shitty. And I know you hate the Empire and you want to do real work. So here's your chance. Um, so, I mean, it, it's very interesting because we get that before she goes to the ball. Um, so we know she's going to be doing some behind the scenes spy research while she's like trying to write her story about capes <laughs> yeah so it's kind of cool that we get to we see kind of the inner workings of that you know to a to a small degree it's like oh what are you guys wearing talk to me about kyber crystals i mean what are you wearing <laughs> <laughs> exactly which um i mean it's it's just really fun because um, in addition to the spy shit, of course, what better job to have for d- doing said spy shit than being a news reporter who um, goes to parties where very important people get very, very drunk and just start talking. So, yeah. so real. <laughs> it also, this is a small thing, but it, this may, so Muir Lafferty is writing the uh, forthcoming solo novelization, uh, which comes out in September. And this story makes me excited for that just because like, the whole, like, who designed your cape thing just feels like such a great meta-commentary, and I feel like Solo is a movie that is just entirely meta-commentary, and so I feel like I'm, like, excited by her ability to write that. Totally. I think I know what you mean, Chris, but can you talk a little bit more about what you mean? Yeah, oh, just because, like, Krennic, like, obviously, like, he's he's just so extra, and, like, he's, he's basically a Skywalker in temperament, and, like... <laughs> He's just so extra, and, like, the thing about him is, like, him and his fucking cape, and, like, even in the book, it's, like, he's, like, so obsessed with, like, his ranking and, like, looking the part, and it's just, like, his his cape is, like, the epitome of him, and it's also become such a thing within the fandom, like, Krennic and his capes. It's not only that, it's not only Krennic's cape, but, like, the fandom has really latched onto um, fashion in the Star Wars universe, uh, you know, which you could say probably began with Padme um, more recently. Um, But people have really latched onto this idea of space capes. So they are very obsessed with Lando's cape collection and Solo, of course. Um, You've got Leia's uh, various regal outfits in The Last Jedi. Um, It's it's kind of just become the fandom zone, self-perpetuating, unironic, ironic meme. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. And I haven't yelled about it on here in a while, probably. Um, Hold on, I'm going to (coughs) cough. But um, I got to go see the traveling exhibit of uh, like Star Wars costumes um, when it was in Denver, not last winter, but the winter before. Um, So it's been like a year and a half, probably. I don't know where it is now or where it's going next, but if it's anywhere near you, go see it you'll just like cry the whole time it's incredible fashion (laughs) fashion and which uh we've already decided keeks you're very bad at (laughs) i don't know what a wristlet is and i don't care to know i have a fanny pack coming on monday i can't wait to try not to leave the purse that i don't want to bring anywhere places yep oh my god it's fine yep fucking fanny pack one other point that i want to make about the spy shit is that just coincidentally i'm reading the um thrawn marvel comic miniseries right now um i would think there's a decent chance that my review of it will be up on tashistation.net 
by the time this podcast comes out, if I can get my shit together this weekend. Toshistation.net, no hyphen. Exactly. Toshistation.net, no hyphen. Um, but, and if you have read Thrawn or remember back to our discussions of Thrawn, there is some spy shit in that, but kind of the reverse, like from the Empire's angle, because you have the whole higher spot, higher skies conspiracy mm. and, and how like prices kind of the way price gets her leg up in the empire and gets the governorship of Lothal is by like uncovering it and turning them in. And so it's just interesting to like, to see this aspect from the rebels point of view of like how they like communicate all this shit and like what they do with the information and all that good stuff. Absolutely. More of this, please. Hell yeah. Anything else about the short story? I agree with all the points made and I'm excited for her to do the soul her being Mira Lafferty to do the solo novelization. That's all I've got, really. Um, you know, little another little nice little uh, slice of rebellion life from Star Wars Insider. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like Star Wars Insider. What else could you possibly write short stories about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there are a lot, but the ones that get booped at the end of books are seemingly always about the the Empire and just day-to-day life within the empire it's true yeah listen we could have more spy shit in in star wars books if someone would make me famous and then let me write a star wars book about Hera and ahsoka which i would love to do wink wink nod nod tom i know you listen (laughs) yes no let kate write we're gonna start a hashtag um oh my god (laughs) Poor poor tom um anyways so let's get into the actual catalyst stuff yeah i think the first point's mine it is um i do i think it is i think it's you know i love i love a good redemption arc (laughs) Um, (laughs) but yeah i mean i brought this up uh last episode episode 56 while we were talking about the end of the book um because we kind of talked during the earlier episodes about how Galen can be kind of a dick. He doesn't really seem to understand the Kyber crystals. Like the respect that he has for them is all because of Lyra. <laughs> um, and at the end of this book, and like he's continually um, denying that there's anything fucked up going on until he like sees the evidence from Lyra. And then he's like, oh, I've been an idiot. Um <laughs> So that's always nice. We like it when uh, people who are being little poops um, end up admitting that they're wrong and coming back and um, having having a nice little redemption arc. Um, I mean, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but unfortunately for Galen, because we know how smart he is, he tries to become a farmer, which is a really bad idea. He should do something else, but he can't really do anything else in like the remote ass world that they picked for him to go to. Um but we see that he he is is redeemed not only in um now believing Lyra, but he's also kind of come around to being a better father to Jin and putting her first. What else was he going to be doing? He's not a farmer, but also we're glad that he ended up being a good dad for a while until he got stolen (laughs) yeah sad sad stuff because it's rogue one yes um now you pointing out the fact that he kind of like realizes better like how to be a father for Jin by you know 
paying attention to her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I I think that's really significant because um, we're going to talk a little more about this later, but... You know, the, the the relationship we see between Jin and Galen in Rogue One is a lot closer than the one we see in the book because he spends a whole lot of time staring at crystals and not really, you know, playing with his kids. So <laughs> Staring at crystals. That's what he does. <laughs> I know. Staring at crystals and, like, doing air math. <laughs> I know. Seriously, though. Um, but the, the other thing is that, of course, um, you can draw a whole lot of parallels between um galen working on the the fucking death throw laser and the scientists in the manhattan project who were working on the atomic bomb and while they definitely like knew what they were working on as opposed to galen who for a lot of the book just refused to see that he was working on a super weapon um i think they kind of eventually come to have the same reaction which is like um that, like, they, they try to science the shit out of whatever they're working on, and then they come to understand that, like, oh, we, like, made something that, like, is unnatural in nature and is really powerful and fucked up, and we never should have done that. And I think that's... And and a lot of the scientists, of course, went on to, um... What do you call it? Like, promote um, nuclear disarmament and all this other stuff. So I think I think you, I think you can see a lot of um, their, their attempts at redemption, at least in Galen. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I I completely agree with all of your points about like kind of the development that we see in Galen from that like pure scientist to being more of a father to Jin. And I this to me makes like we're gonna talk more about just like kind of extending this book into Rogue One and what the impact is, but it like to me the impact of his message to Saw is even greater because like I feel like obviously he understands what he's done at the end of this book and he slows Krennic down, but he doesn't really atone for it in any way, you know, like, cause he's kind of like, you know, they have what they have. Like, you know, he's like, you know, this will delay them and hopefully they won't be able to build it because I'm smart and they won't have me. (laughs) But like, like he doesn't really stop them. In any way. And I feel like that the moment of his his message to Saw and Jin is just kind of more cathartic. Having this backstory for him and knowing like how obviously how deeply involved he was in the creation of the Death Star. Like from the get-go, essentially. And there was this period where he was just lying to himself about what his research was being used for. And on some level, he knew that. And we, you know, we see that from his conversations with Krennic. He like, he's basically asking Krennic to lie to him for a lot of this book. Totally. And I think, I think that's a side of his complicity that we don't see him atone for in this book and that we do see him atone for in Rogue One. Mm -hmm. But this is like kind of a pattern we've been seeing We've seen several times in terms of Star Wars books and their characters extending into other media. We see it in A New Dawn with Kanan. Um, you, we see it with, well, we're never going to see Quinlan Boss again, but you kind of get that at the end of Dark Disciple. Like, we've decided that he hasn't actually fully redeemed himself at the end of the book. He's just, like, on his way to doing so. Um, so, yeah, Star Wars. It's like, it has patterns and stuff in it. Yeah, we should... Uh... <laughs> 
not not to make light of anything, but I'm like, we should have picked where Quinlan Quinlan was on his in his twelve step program. <laughs> at the end of that book. <laughs> Like, he's, he wasn't far. <laughs> I, he wasn't. I know. <laughs> so I'm saying, bringing real life things into Star Wars. <laughs> oh, before I get myself into more trouble, um, Kate, I know Kate wanted to do some talking about uh, point of view in the book, and and especially at the end. Oh, that's my. That's cue. you. Okay, I I didn't know if she was gonna say more stuff. I thought okay, whatever. Okay. Okay, listen, I'm re- I'm really sleep deprived because I went to bed at two in the morning because I couldn't stop reading Trail of Lightning by Re- Rebecca Roanhorse, which is a great book. Yeah, I'm um, tired too. I feel very subdued this podcast. Yeah, sorry, listeners. Chris is or tired. you're welcome. Yes, depending on your point of view. Uh, <laughs> from a certain point from of view. From a certain point of view. God damn it! <laughs> um. Chris just had his um, quarterly meeting with uh, one of his big clients, and Kristen just woke up from a nap, so we're doing great. Yeah, I was asleep. Yeah, it's so. been a long day. I was like, I got pushed this 15 minutes because I got to read this short story because <laughs> I was asleep while I was supposed to be reading it. <laughs> Good talk, everyone. <laughs> I love you. Um, all right, so point of view. Um, we, we as in many Star Wars books, we get um, the story told from various different points of view. We've got, you know, Galen and Haas and Lyra and Krennic. But interestingly, the last section of the book is told from the point of view of somebody we have not heard from in the rest of the book, and that's Jin. So, first of all, I just wanted to say that I thought Kim Solzino did a really great job of capturing um, the mind of a child. Like, the senses were really simple, um, you know, the, the, thought, the way her mind works the way one idea follows from the other is just like definitely very childlike um which is really cool to see especially when you're writing from a child's point of view in a book that has an adult audience um but i was just wondering why do y'all think um he decided to end the book with Jin? i think it's the only time we get pure innocent Jin in her life oh my god you're welcome (sighs) Well, cause it's, cause it's adorable, it's right? Like, it's like, it's like, my new friend saw, we're gonna go to hyperspace, it's pretty. Like, it's like, you know, like, it's adorable. And like, it's, it's very much, I am a child. I have a new, I have a new friend. Do you want to talk to my new friend too? He's my, he's my new friend. Like, <laughs> she's, the, she's the child, Chris. She, <laughs> yeah, first of all. She sure is. Sure is. Um, and then obviously, like, Rogue One. Sees her mother get killed and her dad taken. Rebel Rising. All the shit happens, as we've talked Rebel about. Rebel Rising, she becomes a fucking child soldier. Yep. And then... For and then sake. I know. Um, Just normal shit. And then rest of Rogue One, where, you know, she becomes yep. a hero of the Rebellion and then dies. And then gets exploded by the Death Star, yes. And yeah, like, I feel like... dead on a beach. Yep. I feel like this point of view for Jin is our way of seeing her only little bit of childhood that she gets. thanks fuck off (laughs) i mean you're right but like fuck i should have poured myself more wine for this episode christ almighty i mean okay what (laughs) what did you think we were gonna say (laughs) i didn't think he was gonna say that okay that's fair that was really cutting chris yeah i don't appreciate it um, I, I just want to point out that Chris is the only one this time who actually didn't put any notes on the fucking outline, so. 
Oh, I didn't put any, but uh, the ones from last time that were mine are on this one. <laughs> that fucking counts. I know. Um, oh, and then what I put just to move us on past that horrible realization. Um, <laughs> we get, I mean, we get what Chris said, because it's from, you know, the eyes of the child, right? <laughs> um, but we do see Jin a little bit in the rest of the book and what we see is like she is exactly kind of as we pictured her if we went back in time before uh what's the book called rebel rising thank you i know we just said it um if we go back in time before rebel rising uh it's exactly the kind of kid we would assume that she would be if she had no problems yet right um she's curious she's like I'm pretty sure she's like an early talker and walker like she's all all kinds of smart all kinds of like uh mischievous um they even talk about how like she doesn't sleep at night like a normal baby she's like a night owl like Galen is yeah (laughs) um and I don't know I just thought it was it was worth mentioning i i liked how those you know little hints and little drops of her personality um were put in there and um kind of tied back to her parents um i think they they have a nice through line to uh rebel rising and and rogue one yeah definitely um She's also just so stubborn and really headstrong. <laughs> I think uh that part where Krennic visits uh Lyra and Jin when they're in the on the playground and he threatens Lyra. She's like standing there strong and being like, I want candy. Give me candy <laughs> mm. <laughs> Which is like first of all, an amazing counterpoint to like what is actually going on in that scene, but also like of course she would do that. Like, she's such a little shit in Rebel Rising and at the beginning of Rogue One, so... Yep. It's very Veruca Salt. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Fuck you. Totally. Totally. Um, but, yeah. And you can really see, you know, being raised uh, by the, the, the people she was raised by, why once we get to Rebel Rising, she has such an aptitude for technology, and she might not have had a traditional education, but she's really good at critical thinking. Um, yeah. Um, beyond that, I, I thought that ending the book this way was a good way to kind of just segue into the movie itself, because essentially what's happening is, um, this book is a prequel to Rogue One, it came out before the movie came out, um, and it's, it's handing the story over to Jin, really, um, Mm -hmm. because Rogue One is Jin's story, so, you know, Galen's just being like, here you go, squirt, have a terrible life. That will turn to a movie. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's a great way to put it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, yeah. Not, it, not the terrible life that will turn into a movie part, but the handing the story over to Jin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think to a lesser extent, Saw as well, right? It's like, mm-hmm. we don't get... The, the reason I think the Saw parts in this book are so rich is because we have that background, right? Of reading Rebel Rising and um, watching Rogue One and just knowing Saul's past as well. Um, you know, he's ish a throwaway character other than like saving them in this book. I mean, as far as he's like written, um, but you can tell that he's like written in such a way that if you know his past and his future, which we happen to, um, that you can attach some significance to it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, and that's what Star Wars is all about in a way, because you know, it's, it's the handing off of stories. It's, 
you know, the prequels turning into the sequels. It's the sequels then turning into the, or sorry, the prequels turning into the original trilogy, then th- then turning into the sequels. Like, you have these handoff moments of uh, Owen and Baru looking into the sunset with baby Luke at the end of episode three, or of uh, Leia on the bridge of the Tantive at the end of Rogue One. Like, it's, you know, it's it's very much that, that chapter is very much that style of, like, this is, we all know that Star Wars is a continuing story. This is the end of this chapter. Yep. That's very well said, Chris. Definitely. Thank you. Proud of you. Yay, Chris. I, I was going to say, um, and then, like, Rebels turns back into the Clone Wars, right? <laughs> And then Rebels turns back into the Clone Wars. <laughs> Please leave my podcast. <laughs> what? Where's the lie? Uh, we get old Soka. Now we're going to get more young Soka. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Before we talk about... Before we talk about that. Um, speaking of all these connections, I just want to talk a little more closely on a few things. Um that directly connects Catalyst and Rogue One, besides the obvious things. Um, so first up, I've always l- really loved the tension between Lyra and Krennic in the basically the prologue scene of Rogue One. And it, obviously there's a lot simmering under there, but oh my god, this book gives you just like the most giant, delicious pot of tea about these two and their background and why they hate each other so much and why Lyra was just so decided so decidedly did not want to hide with Jin and instead tried to shoot him in the fucking face. Mm-hmm. Back from the dead. Oh my god. I know. I mean, honestly, that because like one of the criticisms of Lyra's character when Rogue One first came out is like why. Did she do that? Why didn't she hide with Jin? And we've said that too. And we and we've said that too, absolutely. And I I feel like you do like you you know that now that Lyra and Krennic have this history and that like this is like obviously like taking care of your child is also personal, but like this is personal. This is not, you know, the first time that Krennic has come for her husband. This is a continuing battle that she's fought and like you know, again, you can continue to have the discussion about whether she made the right choice, but, like, it it makes more sense as somebody who has come for her family before. Absolutely. And, like, also knowing more about Lyra's character and everything and, like, you know, how how absolutely protective she is and how fierce she is. It makes, yeah, absolutely. It makes a ton of sense. And I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, like, if she did go and hide with Jen, how preoccupied would she be about, like, Krennic stealing everything that she loved in this life i mean like i don't she's obviously like not a weak-willed person so i think she might kind of learn and grow from that but at the same time i'm like i would probably lose my fucking mind and like want to go blow him up every second of the day and saw would be like okay (laughs) i I mean i was gonna say it's kind of debatable whether or not she would have lived to see Jin grown to adulthood anyway because absolutely she would have wanted revenge and um, you know, honestly, whether she would have waited for Saw to come pick them up on Lemu, also debatable. Like, if she hadn't done what she'd done in Rogue One, would Jin be alive? I don't really know. Yeah. 
Totally. I want, I just want to know so much more about Lyra because she's so cool. But then they had a fridger, so. Yeah. Yay. I just, I also, I mean, Keeks, you said it, but just like, oh, look, it's Lyra back from the dead. It's a miracle. Like, just, just the ex- immediate exasperation and, oh, look, Lyra, troublesome as ever. Like, it's like it's like being on the receiving end of aha surprise bitch but you didn't expect to see me again like <laughs> it's like he's just like i'm so tired of you always being here let's make it so you're not here anymore <laughs> give me my man <laughs> well and that i mean in a very masterful way at least they kind of use fuck i hate it when they use the fridging to give us more information about a male character but here we are um at least we learn like oh Ga- like krennic does not believe galen as far as he can throw him because he's a terrible fucking liar <laughs> <laughs> oh god i know this poor baby oh has no idea and yet that may manage to hide the fucking faulty exhaust pipe or whatever the fuck it is in the death star for years God bless him. So wild. I know. Yeah, at some point we're going to read the Rogue One novelization for a bonus pod for for the sole purpose of that fucking email chain. I'm so ready. <laughs> there's <laughs> that email chain. No, there's like any there's like a like a chain of like memos or whatever the fuck between what is it Galen? It's and- Galen and like some like person in charge of the project. And like basically it's like this person being like every time we run a simulation like something goes wrong with this shit can you fucking fix it and Galen just being like oh no it shouldn't be it's it's totally fine I don't know why the simulation's doing that amazing I'm smarter than the simulation and then everybody's like nobody is <laughs> <laughs> I assume I have not read this I'm excited it's pretty funny turning it over to things that aren't funny um, so. One of the other reasons, um, and Chris, you pointed this out, that I like that that last point of view bit with Jin at the end of the book is we see the beginnings of her very long history with Saw and how it's just interesting how different he is from here to Rubble Rising to him, you know, right before he dies in Rogue One. Um, but, you know, she, she sees him as a friend and he seems like really good with kids. You know, he's like, hello, small child. <laughs> like... You are adorable. I am I am going to treat you as such sort of thing. Whereas, you know, three years later, when he has to go pick her up off Lemu after her parents get dead and or kidnapped, um, as we see in Rubble Rising, one of the, he takes her back to his ship. And, like, the first thing he does is just, like, is say, did your father say anything about kyber crystals? Like, he's immediately grilling her. Like, he's not being gentle with her at all. And... Um, well, he's a father figure for her, obviously, and basically raised her. They're just, their relationship just becomes more and more contentious until he kind of ditches her. So it's just kind of sad, again, knowing how it all ends. Um, this like nice, soft, happy beginning, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the age factor is one that like, doesn't really get taken into account because obviously Forrest Whitaker's an older guy. And like, even though they tried to age him down for that first scene of Rogue One, he still, he feels on the older end. But like, he's mid-twenties when he first meets Jin, maybe. Mm-hmm. Generously mid-twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, he's like, she's 
not really daughter aged for him. She's like younger sibling aged for him in a way. Oh, that's... And doesn't he say at some point in Rebel Rising? And if you want to hear us talk more about Rebel Rising, you should go back to our first three episodes mm-hmm. um, because we talked about it in, in, at great length. But doesn't he say at one point, or maybe one of his associates says at one point, like, you probably remind him of Stila? Yes, absolutely. I think, um, <sighs> I, I can't remember her name, but the, the Saw's lady friend. Yes. Not, not lady friend, like, lady not lady friend, friend lady friend. Like, his friend who is a lady. Yes. Who is, like, his generation. Yes. <laughs> I was being sassy. Um, but yeah, so it's just like, it, it is, it's, it, it does make it exactly what you said. It makes it more tragic and it just is a new perspective on what built that relationship and just how far it's fallen. Yeah, definitely. And I think like, I mean, we've seen that Steelus death weighs on Saul more and more and more as he gets older. Oh yeah. And, and incurs more losses because, because that was his first really. Um, and how much that strains his relationship with Jin, so. Yeah, and we talked last episode about how Saw's not nearly as military, well, he's he's militaristic, but he's not nearly as single-minded. Or cynical. Or cynical, yeah. Um, or fatalistic, even. Or fatalistic, or, like, tunnel-visioned mm-hmm. in some ways in this book, as he is later in Rebels in Rogue One. Totally. Um, and because, you know, he's younger yeah. He's he's yeah. seen a lot, but like he's younger. Mm-hmm. And like that's like he's he develops too. <laughs> totally. Totally. Um and then the last relationship I wanted to talk about here is Galen and Jin. Um which we've touched on a little bit, but you know, they get off to a rocky start in Catalyst, and then they become a lot closer when they move to Lemu, which makes sense because it looks like they live on this goddamn farm, and there's nobody anywhere near them. I don't know if Jin necessarily has, like, a friends or kids, other kids to play with. It kind of seems like she doesn't. So she's got her parents, and she's very close to them. And then, um, you know, she gets picked up by Saw, and as far as she knows, her father has willingly gone to work for the Empire, and she lives a lot of her life thinking that. And we you know, see a lot of her her anger and her frustration and her reluctance to talk about him in Rogue One and then how she completely breaks down um, when she sees that message. So um, it's been a long and difficult relationship between the two of them and um, really they haven't had a whole lot of happy years together and that's, again, really fucking sad. Is it like... I'm confused about, like, what they told Jim... Like, here's our contingency plan if the Empire comes for Galen. Like... Yeah. Wh- I mean, I think she, it's like... Why how- does she... Like, why is she then salty about... Like, why wouldn't she then be angry at the Empire instead of being mad at Galen? Well, I mean, she's... I think... Eight. She's eight, and also I think it's that the fact that he never comes back for her. Like, I think she always expected him to okay. find some way to yeah. get out of it and come back for her. And remember yeah, in Rebel Rising, Saw tells her that he is, you know, Saw's information is that Galen is cooperating. That's right. Yeah. Like, so as far as she knows, he is a collaborator. Doi, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also like, like, you know, if you have a kid and it's like, okay, if you get separated from mommy and daddy, like go here and stay there. And this is the plan. And like, you know, you don't need the kid to understand why. You just need the kid to understand that they need to do that. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let us talk about a few more literary things before we get into the social media. So really quickly, I just wanted to talk about uh, Lucino's writing style, which is... Again, different in the um, from other Star Wars authors in the same way that they're all very different from each other. But I, it's obvious, at least to me, that he's from an older school of writing, I want to say. Um, so he more reminds me of, and this makes sense because this is when his career really took off, but like back in the 80s and 90s, um, science fiction and fantasy writing, um, it was a lot more descriptive. It was a lot more, I want to say, based in the in world building and actual, you know, quote unquote science, even if it was, you know, made up science. Um, and yeah, it was a lot, it, it just was a lot less focused on experimentation. I want to say that the, which is not, which is not, not to say that that's a bad thing or anything. Um, not experimenting with your writing, because obviously this is a really solid story, but, um, I want to say that this, um, school of sci-fi and fantasy authors really kind of emerged from, uh, reading Lord of the Rings, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien does an incredible job of world building and description and all of that. And I think, obviously, he inspired, um, he's still inspiring generations of writers, but especially this one, I think, because you have things that come out of this era are like Game of Thrones or, um, The Sword of Truth and all that sort of thing. Um, the Brian Sanderson books. So, um, he's just very much of that, uh, generation of writers, and I think it really shows. I think the only other Star Wars author we have in the current canon who's probably, um, a little bit more of that style of that generation is Tim Zahn, who wrote Thrawn. Yeah, and just to add some more, that generation of influences that this style kind of reminded me of in the sci-fi realm, you've got something like Dune or something like the Foundation series from Isaac Asimov or, um... Even something like, you know, like uh, some of the old um, Arthur C. Clarke books as well. Like mm-hmm. that, that, um, the commitment to the science aspect of it. Totally. Which yeah. is something that, obviously, if you are anywhere on Star Wars Twitter, people, there are people who care a lot about this, which, <laughs> which is fine. They should. Um, but or if they or should they? or they can they can they can <laughs> as long as they're not annoying about it. Listen, th- my therapist <laughs> told me I shouldn't say should, so you shouldn't either. Fair <laughs> or um, you can't no, either. Um, I should say, and, yeah. and I will say I I care about the science too. Like there are certain things that bug me too. But Star Wars has kind of always been dating back to the beginning, something where it didn't make sense, and that was fine. Like Star Trek is very much this is the science. And we're going to explain it. And this is what dilithium does and how it powers the warp core. And, and let me go take a nap right now. And, well, no, well, I mean, you don't like Star Trek and that's fair. I don't. They're like, that inspired generations of sci-fi fans in, before Star Wars ever did. And so it, it's, it's I- fair. It's just, it's a different style of storytelling. And so it's interesting to see Lucino bring it into Star Wars. And again, as, as very much as Kate said, he's not the only one, but he is one of the more prominent ones, particularly in the new canon. Yeah, definitely. And, and I will say, I will give Star Trek a lot of credit for inspiring a whole generation of NASA scientists and all this other shit. So there is that. You- Star Wars continues to be faking in space. And you know what? I like that better, but that's just me. 
Me too. <laughs> but how do the bombs drop? Chris! Do you want to explain this, Kate? Don't you have an answer? For the no, bomb? there's literally an answer. Like, there, there's actually a science answer for how the bombs uh, drop. Oh, okay. So um. pe- people have a problem with uh, in The Last Jedi at the very beginning when uh, Paige drops the giant bomb payload over the First Order Dreadnought. And people are all like, there's no fucking gravity in space. So, like, how are the bombs dropping? And um, the answer is there. Um, there's a magnetic push that they get from the inside of the ship that basically boops them out into space and because space is a vacuum and it can't like and there's you know an object in motion once it hits that vacuum is going to continue to be in motion because there's no friction i also that that is the official reason my additional reason for that is the ship has artificial gravity yes bombs start in the ship they then exit the ship going in a direction and as you said an object in motion stays in motion so this is all a fucking moot argument anyway, and they don't even need the fucking propulsion. No, that's yes. absolutely true, but... Because the remote falls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah! <laughs> well, I, and, like, we know just from all of Star Wars that ships have... Artif- like, you don't see them floating around the Millennium Falcon. Like, <laughs> ships have artificial gravity. That is technology that they have. Right. I wish they were floating around the Millennium Falcon. That sounds great. Actually, I would love to see a gag where, like, the fucking artificial gravity breaks and we have to do that. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if they ever bring that aspect into Star Wars have, as they kind of bring the new creators. Have they in. done that in Rebels, though? Um, shot, they did. shut the gravity off in Clones. That sounds right. Yeah, I they think... did in Clones. There was that episode where Kanan got sucked down into space <laughs> no. and like, sucked through the airlock. No, I'm thinking of the episode with um, AP5 and Wedge where um, Wedge has to go pee. Um, don't they have to, like, don't they clo- shut the gravity off at some point in that episode? Very possible. I don't remember. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about the one with Cad Bane where he captures Ahsoka. Yeah, that's a great example. They shut the gravity. They do. Off. Yeah. I don't know why or how, but all the <laughs> everybody's like, turn your magnets on. <laughs> Magnetize. Um, sorry. I'm not that sorry. All right. Anyway, social oh media. <laughs> you told me to bring everything back to the Clone Wars. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to. <laughs> Mom and Dad said. Um. All right. Social media. Um, so, Avenger at Heart. Hi, Alex. Um, she says, uh, when I was reading Catalyst for the first time, I noticed Krennic never refers to Jin by name and almost never even indicates he knows she's a girl. This continues into Rogue One with, they have a child, find it, not daughter or her or anything. Thoughts? And we've talked about this a little bit, um, mostly in passing and mostly joking, but he just, like... His, like, complete disregard for, like, humanity and people is really kind of astounding, and I think that's really apparent here. Like, he only says her name or thinks her name when he's, like, threatening Lyra or thinking about how he's gonna, like, super fuck Galen over. Like, it's really sick. Like, he only thinks of her, like, in correct terms when he sees her as a means to an end. Totally. And I mean, and this isn't quite answering the question, but I mean, we see like that more when he tries to uh, threaten Lyra. Um, And, you know, he's used to like his conniving, you know, dog eat dog, fight your way to the top, do what you need to do. And he's like, this can't possibly go wrong. And that's like the biggest red flag for Lyra, <laughs> which means like he does not understand how normal people brain things. <laughs> like, yeah, 
I mean, we. I mean, the book talks a whole ton about Galen being really socially awkward and everything, but Krennic is like, like a smooth operator, but also next level in not understanding human relationships or interactions. So, ah, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, and he just doesn't care. Like he's. Oh yeah, he does, he cares not at all. Yeah, like like his thing, and we've talked about in past episodes how like his his genius is reading people, and he doesn't need to read Jin, so he doesn't care. That's a great point. Like like I said, like he he doesn't have to care because she's not important until she is. Exactly. I was just gonna say and we talked last episode about how like these little oversights on his part undo him, like kind of playing his trump card against cart uh, against Tarkin too early, like not thinking about Jin could, you know, grow up to be a real person. And like Yeah. Like whatever happened to her and things like that. Like you know, it's like a very, I assume it's a trope in the Star Wars universe as well, that empires are toppled by the children of murdered fathers. Right, yeah. I was going like, to say, like, also just not even understanding the fact that, like, children could have a relationship with their parents such that they could be angry. Yeah. About that sort of thing. But Keeks, you were going to say something. I mean, and I that just brings me back to his relationship with Lyra again, even at that same part. Mm-hmm. It's like, he tries to read Lyra, but he, like, cannot understand her motivations which are like being happy and protecting her family (laughs) and like making sure shit doesn't get fucked up yeah like he he does not process that which is like how he makes the huge mistake of threatening her which like sends the whole um you know red flag situation in motion oh yeah totally absolutely all right the next two questions slash comments are related (laughs) uh which are wonderful ones. Uh, the first one's from Abby Gleason, uh, one of the co-hosts of Beltway Vanthus, friend of the pod. Um, she says, Is Krennic the most disaster buy of all Star Wars? And uh, Chaos Bria, um, our colleague in, Ta- in Tashi Station, um, something something super bisexual Krennic, all caps. Which, uh, to all of that, I say, yes. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a more... Disaster. I'm trying to think of a more disaster buy than Krennic. I don't have one. I don't have one either. I just uh. maybe my maybe Brian, since uh, me and Brian figured out that we're both disaster buys from Pacific Northwest, and why do we have a podcast together? What a mess. <laughs> um, maybe uh, I can convince him uh, to gr- brew a Krennic beer. Ooh, you just called disaster buy. <laughs> either that or like just something like very bitter. <laughs> something something call it queer cape oh my god <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> i'm trying to think i mean there are some people who had canon han is by and he would qualify as disaster by but i don't personally see it so no uh oh you know who is one canon Oh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like Krennic's more disaster by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm just trying to think yeah. of disaster buys in general and then, like, compare them. But no, Krennic is definitely more of a disaster buy than Kanan is. Fair. God, he is just... I can't... I, we, we don't even have, like, words for it. No, he just is! Oh, yeah, like, think about all the shit we already said about him in this episode. Okay, pretend that that's our answer. <laughs> he just is. Like, I don't know what else to say about it. Like, again... To Abby and Bria, to to y'all, I say yes. <laughs> All right. 
Um, our next and final question is from Daniel, TI30612 on Twitter. Um, so Daniel says, would you have any interest in similar novels or history on Starkiller Base, or is the Death Star special? Which I think is a great question. Um, it is a great question. I mean, of course I want to know more shit about Starkiller Base, and especially, like, if it's in a similar vein to this. I don't think it's going to happen, of course, um, <laughs> but I would love to see it. Like, did they have to trick people into working on it? Like, what was the deal? How did they even come up with the tech? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, I just think all that stuff's interesting. Yeah, and I've, I mean, building it out definitely is was going to be always a, an engineering feat. I can't decide if I would want that interwoven into a story or if I just want this little, like, not quite a pamphlet, but not quite a full, like, visual dictionary that's just, like, breaks down all the parts of Circular Base. Like, here's the outside, um... And here are all the explains all of the parts of it that you can see from the outside and like cross sections of the inside and stuff like that. Like, I'm a super, I'm, I'm such a nerd for like. I'm pretty sure that exists. Does it? Because. I have to assume that exists. I don't know what the fuck they do. What's, there's a Force Is Awakens it, visual dictionary. Have, it probably exists. I was going to say, do we have a visual dictionary for the Force Awakens? It exi- yeah, that's a thing. It exists. I don't, I don't have, have one. No. Remind me to order one tomorrow. That's what I order with my Amazon books for <laughs> that I get for free from work. Nice. <laughs> get Star Wars picture books. <laughs> Everybody's like, what are you? What? Uh, yeah. I'm like, don't worry about it, okay? <laughs> I, I adore you. Yeah. Um, I would say, I think, I think my answer to this question is like, I've never thought about needing one and, you know, I can't really imagine a story around it, I guess, because we don't know a whole lot about the sequel trilogy right now because we can't because they haven't finished it. Um, and so a lot of the stuff is secret, but definitely not opposed to it. I think it'd be fun. Like, I think it'd be, you know, Star Wars loves, like all, like all great saga stories, loves mirroring itself. So I think that would be a, a cool thing to have. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that I need one specifically about Starkiller Base. I do want, in general, stories about the rise of the First Order and mm-hmm. how they how they have the technology they have. Because one thing that we get hints of in some of the supplementary materials for Last Jedi, like the novelization, and I want to say the Visual Dictionary, there's not a guarantee that Starkiller Base is the worst thing they had. Cool. Like... We know about the supremacy, which obviously was absolutely massive in scope. Um, we obviously know about Starkiller Base, but there's there's like implications in, uh, particularly in the Last Jedi novelization, that like there's a lot more where that came from, and so I want to know more about the First Order and how they got their tech in general and how they built up. It and it does feel like a relatively quick amount of time. Um, However, I think in terms of one specific weapon, to me, the Death Star is special just because it is so iconic. And it's the original. I mean, yeah. You- oh, absolutely. It's, 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 I mean, it's the weapon that spawned a generation of like super laser sci-fi movies. Yeah. And even more than that, you know, we literally have in The Force Awakens when they're um, planning their attack to take down Starkiller Race, you've got those hollows of, you know, here's the Death Star, here's Starkiller Base, but of course the Death Star was the original idea for Starkiller Base, so... Um, yeah, it is the original measuring stick. Totally. Absolutely. And they use it as such. Um, 
You know what I would actually really love, Chris, now that you're talking about um, the rise of the First Order? If they would do like a World War Z style, like, oral history <laughs> sort of thing, I think that would be really fun. I mean, Time mm. Fist for Favreau's series. Ooh, big if true. Yeah. Um, I just, I really. For the, for the people who didn't read the Leia book with us, can you give them a blurb about that and tell them how they can listen to it? Because that has some of that, obviously. Yeah, we've got a little. Not tech pieces, but. Yeah, we've got a little bit of The Rise of the First Order in Bloodline by Claudia Gray. And we talked about that in episodes four through eight. So if you want to hear us talk about that, then go on back and have a listen in the archives. Mm-hmm. Self-promotion, self-promotion. Yep. Thanks, Kate. You are welcome. <laughs> I just really, I hope JJ manages to not be JJ, and I hope we don't have Starkiller Base 2 in Episode 9. We'll see how it goes, That'll man. be dumb. <laughs> LOL, good luck. I'll watch it, and I'll end up loving it. Like, I'm, I'm calling right now that, like, if it happens, none of my protests count because it's Star Wars and I'm going to end up loving it, but that'll be dumb. This was Starkiller Base. This is twin Starkiller Base. <laughs> oh my god. Shut up. It's too real. I'm so upset. Um, anyway, speaking of having a lot of feelings. Alright, all right, we may now scream about the Clone Wars. So uh, we are recording this on July 19th, uh, which is the day that the news dropped at uh, San Diego Comic Con that the Clone Wars is coming back for a seventh season. So there are... Hoping to uh, come back for one season, which will be available on uh, Disney's streaming service when the fuck that happens sometime next year. Um, they are hoping to have one final season of The Clone Wars to wrap up all of the storylines that they didn't get to wrap up. Um, it's definitely going to cover the Siege of Mandalore. Um, we've got that from the trailer slash sizzle reel that they put together. And if you haven't seen that yet, definitely go on YouTube um, and find it. I'm sure it's... By the time this episode drops, it's going to be fucking everywhere. And they're going to be like... A million, like, one hour long fucking YouTube videos of crazy people trying to analyze that shit, even though, why, I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, but beyond that, we're not sure what kind of uh, storylines we're going to get. Um, they've already, of course, released the story reels for the Crystal Crisis arc and the Bad Batch arc, so whether they're going to rehash those, I kind of doubt it. Um, but there are certainly plenty of stories left to be told including um ahsoka's walkabout which occurs um chronologically before the siege of mandalore and there is a bounty hunter arc in which um boba fett faces off against cad bane that they haven't uh rendered so those are possibilities um but yeah how excited are we i'm honestly still just shocked i know i'm like i like i saw the news and i like i didn't i didn't even feel anything i was just straight up dumbfounded i mean i was I saw a couple people on Twitter leading up to this week about like, do you think they'll announce a new season of Clone Wars at this panel? And I literally laughed. <laughs> I, I, had you asked me before this panel what I thought the chances of that were, I would have told you 0%. And it like, and I, and I would have felt really good about that prediction. Sure. Um, I can't believe they're doing this. I honestly can't believe they're coming back to it. Like after, you know six years or four years i guess four years mm -hmm. of it being off the air um yeah i especially since they have been slowly telling those stories in other mediums with you've got dark disciple that was uh a clone wars arc you've got the son of dathomir uh, originally a dark horse comic miniseries uh that has now been 
republished by Marvel. Um, that was based on Clone Wars scripts. Mm-hmm. Um, the story reels, of course. The story reels, yeah. Um, all that stuff. Um, so I'm just shocked. Yeah. Keeks, how do you feel about your clone boys coming back? Oh my god, you guys know I'm like clone trash. I love them so much. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm super excited. If you'd like to hear us uh, shit on uh, Bring Back the Clone Wars, you can do that by listening to the rest of the podcast every episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, we. <laughs> I literally made we... a Bring Back the Clone Wars joke this morning. <laughs> Yeah, and I exactly. just I like just retweeted tonight and like well that didn't age well. <laughs> um, no, but I mean like I I don't want to speak for you guys, but I think we're all kind of on similar pages about that. And we were like they're not going to bring it back. It wasn't a Disney brainchild to begin with. Like it's an acquired thing. Um, just because they got the rights to it doesn't mean we need the rest of it. Like we we were all very firmly like okay, it's okay if it doesn't finish. Like, yeah. We get it. Right. It's fucking fine. They're using other media. We're and like obviously on this podcast, we're very happy about them like branching out and using other media to tell those stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting for us and gives us more to talk about. But at the same time, you know, there were people that were so fixated on bringing back the Clone Wars and finishing the Clone Wars, and we're like, I mean, are the is this even going to make those people happy? Because you, you know, I'm sure it's not. Nothing no. ever makes anyone in Star Wars fandom happy. Especially, um, they're going to be like, it's not the same. Yeah, I know. Especially the fuck boys. So <sighs> they're, they're anyway, going to find I'm a way ex- that Disney ruined it. Oh, absolutely. Literally, <laughs> literally, yeah. George Lucas could have written these scripts word for word, and they're going to find a way to say Disney ruined it. Totally. Yeah, Disney brought back the Clone Wars, so now we don't want it back. Anymore. I know. <laughs> but. I mean, yeah, I'm just excited. I, I love the Clone Wars. I've talked about it. I know, like, it, it's got plenty of problems, but I love it. It's crazy. It's kind. It was kind of like my first foray into, like, crazy shit Star Wars. It's kind of why I'm on the pod, because Kate was like, you need to watch Clone Wars. And I was like, um, this seems like a lot, <laughs> and it seems insane. And you were like, it is, but, like, text me. And that's basically, like, how we started talking more and more about star wars and now that's what we do every day yes um no i no i remember back back in the day um before we were even like super good friends i i like found out you like star wars and chris and i were like i think we were in the middle of watching it and i was like have you seen this and you were like no why would i watch children's cartoon which is a totally normal <laughs> response honestly oh, that was absolutely my first response too yeah yeah, yeah. this and- was on when we were in college huh like it was on when we were I guess a little before college, but yeah. when we were in college for the yeah, most part. Like when it first aired. Right. Yeah. I didn't watch any of it when it was first on no, air. So no. I, I, I was all Netflix all the time. Yeah, same. Like we we didn't watch it at all um, when it was actually airing. But I was just like, you, sh- you should watch this. And I like, I think I badgered you for about two months. And then finally you were like, fuck it. I'm bored. And Netflix is in front of me. And you were like, oh my God. Like, I think you like, clo- you love Clone Wars the same way I love Rebels. And yeah. yeah oh for sure <laughs> i would definitely like well yeah and i was it's when i like was started living alone and i was like well i've got nothing else to do but watch six episodes of this children's cartoon tonight <laughs> and it was great because you would like live text me like actually was it was great every reaction that you had which was wonderful um i think you were watching the first seasons while we were finishing the last few and like and i was just there like right. keep watching keep watching because like you just keep just keep watching i know like you get to like the weird like out of order shit in season two and you're like what the hell is going on and i was like i'm on season six and shit is lit just keep going <laughs> just keep going if you're going through hell keep going <laughs> Okay, seasons one and two of the Clone Wars. Um, accurate, but no, but seriously, I mean, the the same way that like it got you like 
big into Star Wars, it did the same for me because, like, obviously, like, I'd grown up with the original trilogy. Yes, we're, we are indeed the prequel generation, God help us. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, I loved it then. But for a long time um, after that, I was like, you know, Star Wars is cool. I like it, but, you know, I'm not in love with it. And then I watched The Clone Wars, and at first I was like, what the fuck am I watching? And then there was Ahsoka, and... Honestly, the Clone Wars and Ahsoka is what got me back into Star Wars in in a huge way. Like, if it weren't for the Clone Wars, I would not be doing this podcast. And if it weren't for Ahsoka, I would not be doing this podcast. Because, I mean, I think I've talked about this a little bit before, but um, um, you all know that we spend a lot of time on this podcast for a lot of reasons. um, Not the least of which because it's important. uh, Talking about representation in Star Wars. And... um, Again, I've talked about this before, but for a really long time, Star Wars has used um, non-human characters as proxies for people of color. And so I didn't see myself in Star Wars, really, until I got Ahsoka, because she was non-human and a really super insecure teenager, just like me, who... um, wanted to excel at everything, um, but also had this horrible sass streak that she had to, like, tamp down in order to be successful, or at least she thought she did. Um, and yeah, it was just, like, this really magical moment for me where I was just, like, this is, like, I just related to her, like, literally on a spiritual level. Like, I was, like, this is me. Um, and so Ahsoka's, like, top three Star Wars characters for me because of that. So Clone Wars is a very special place in my heart. And I am really, really glad that we're getting more of it, but also that we're finally going to see the Siege of Mandalore because um, that's always been a really important bridge in Ahsoka's character from her leaving the Jedi Order to um, becoming Fulcrum and becoming who she is on Rebels. And judging by the sizzle reel, like, she says one line, but the way Ashley Eckstein... Um, acted that line, it really does feel like a good bridge between those two parts of her life. You know, Mm -hmm. you see a little bit more of the self-assuredness and the calmness that you don't really see a lot of in her when she's a Padawan. So, anyway, that's all to say. I'm pumped. (laughs) Yeah, me too. I, 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 like, I... I, A, I am of the opinion that all, like, that, that more Star Wars is good Star Wars. Um, we've talked about this on the pod before. Um, I I believe that having more Star Wars content in the world is a good thing, and it is a thing that makes me happy. Um, but this is it's just fun. It like it makes me happy as a consumer because I liked the original series. It makes me happy as more of a like hardcore fan because you have all these story tie-ins that we can now you know have explicitly out there it makes me happy as somebody who is interested in the process of making the story and making the art because Filoni has very clearly wanted to do this like I mean besides him like I'm super happy for like I was saying to you Chris off off pod but um for actually like Simon Matt Lanter who are the voice actors for Ahsoka and Anakin respectively um like they've 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 been gunning for this for like ever and ever and ever so yeah and it's it's just you know, this was a show that was very much a labor of love for a lot of people at Lucasfilm, and it was on at kind of a weird time with TV because it was before streaming got really big, and it was on Cartoon Network, but 
And it was it one very of, quickly got too dark for kids, but adults aren't going to watch Cartoon Network. And it was also, <laughs> but it was also like in the, during literally the dark ages when we weren't sure if we were going to get any other Star Wars content besides this ever again. Yeah. Um, and so it just, it's, it's, it's a nice culmination, you know, kind of as, you know, as we come to episode nine next fall and winter, we're also going to be coming to this and it's just, it's a nice, it feels fitting. It feels like a really fitting ending to, because the Clone Wars is very much a chapter of the Skywalker saga. Totally. Like there's, there, it's undoubtedly so. Yes. And it just, it feels like a fitting end to this chapter in Star Wars and this like the, the Skywalker saga as a whole. And obviously there's more characters. We're clearly going to get more about Ahsoka, which clearly means we're going to get more about Ahsoka later. Um, Dave Filoni loves his girl. Uh, yeah. For um, better or worse. Uh, for better or worse. <laughs> um, don't, I love Ahsoka. Don't at me. Um, I mean, besides the fact that like, obviously we, you know, we've talked a lot about Ahsoka. We, we've gotten, I, I don't have to talk about all the iconic characters we've gotten out of that, but also the actors. I mean, they are just as loved I want to say, as, like, actors from the prequels or the original trilogy. You know, Ashley Eckstein is, she is a, she's, she's, um, she's a fixture in Star Wars, you know? She's, oh, absolutely. She's just a person. And, you know, as much as we uh, love to gripe about Dave Filoni and how he can't write women on this pod, um, you know, that's the show that made him. And, um, you know, for better or worse, he's going to be the person who's steering Star Wars animation, um, whether that's hands-on or not, for the foreseeable future. And yeah. he's basically like George Lucas's apprentice, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Like, and there he is. Yeah. So I'm I'm excited. I'm I'm still very excited about Resistance, though. Like, I get that like Resistance mm-hmm. is not the focus today, and probably at this point, I would guess not the focus at San Diego Comic Con. Probably get something for it in New York Comic Con maybe later this year. I think, and that's it's okay. Yeah, and that's fine. No, but I'm 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 still very excited for Resistance. Like I've seen a couple people online, um, being like, "Don't care about Resistance anymore," or or like stuff like that. And it's just like we could like this is the thing we can have both. There has never been a better time to be a Star Wars fan because like, and we've said this in the past, Star Wars is not a precious resource anymore. Like there is more of it. You can like as much of it as you want you can dislike some and or, you don't have to and like don't feel bad like just like, or consume it as much of it as you want exactly or consume as much of it as you want i will admit i still have not watched the latest round of force of destiny shorts um i haven't watched any i of should them. do that yeah so i should i'm doing we should great do that. but like this is the point like <laughs> it is not just six movies and that's it anymore like you can be as involved or as not involved in any aspect of this fandom as you want. And that's never happened before. And it's exciting. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the consumers have just as much power as the creators at this point. That's really cool. Yeah. Except not in a shitty ownership way. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Go fuck yourself. (laughs) Cakes talk. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We... We don't care that we're going long because we didn't know this was going to get dropped today when we moved stuff into this outline so everyone can fuck off. Um, yep. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, so we think we're going to get Maul, right? We have to. It's going to be the tie-in to, to Solo that everybody who doesn't know about Maul is going to want. Yeah. yeah. Well, Maul was so, on Mandalore, so. Yeah. Ma- I mean, right. yeah, Maul is ruling Mandalore at this point yes. or whatever the hell. Um, 
Which is cool to me because, um, you know, we were talking a little bit in our solo bonus episodes, um, which if you're interested in those, go back and listen, obviously. Um, but we were talking a little bit about how, why Maul is important. And of course, it's because um, we, we've we argued time and time again on this podcast that Star Wars is basically creating a new way of storytelling. And that's across different media, which is awesome. Um, but people were wondering if it's too much of a hump to get over for quote-unquote casual fans to understand why the fuck Maul is there. Um, but this is another great entry point for people to find out about um, Maul's history in the Clone Wars era because, of course, the show's on Netflix and, you know, it's a great reason for people to go back and actually um, watch the old, old episodes on Netflix. But again, we're getting because we're getting season seven and because Maul has to be in it... Um, it's just it's just another reason for people to be consuming Star Wars in all different forms and understand that Star Wars doesn't just have to be movies if you don't want it to be. Yeah. And if you want it to be, it can too. That's yeah. fine. Like, we're not shitting on that. We're like, we actually just talked to a friend of ours earlier tonight. And she's like, yeah, I, I, you know, I saw Last Jedi and I didn't see Solo and it was fun. And we're like, that's... If, if that's how you want to consume Star Wars, then that's how you should consume Star Wars. Right. She was a little sheepish about it, you know, because she knows we do this podcast. And I feel like a lot of people kind of feel this way around us nowadays. But we're just like, no, I mean, if you think Star Wars is fun, you can think Star Wars is fun. Like, wh- we're the crazy ones. Like, you're being normal. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we're very much on the Star Wars is for everybody bandwagon. Oh, fuck yeah. However you want to to have it. Yeah. Um, if, you've, but- if you've enjoyed a Star Wars product, then you can, if you want to, consider yourself a Star Wars fan. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um, we're probably going to rewatch The Clone Wars, not in any sort of organized way, but just because we all love it, and this is a great reason to. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if you you can yell clone shit at us on social, we'll figure out what to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> if you go in and rewatch it. Well, and like to... Just to add on to that point, I, I don't think they're going to make it. It's Lucasfilm, right? First of all, five people don't work there. So there could be other people working on Resistance that while this is happening. So everybody needs to get their head out of their asses. Oh, yeah. Um, and it does feel <laughs> it's like it's like, a different team for sure. Mm-hmm. It, it does not have finite. Re- you, It's Disney. There, It does not have finite resources. Everybody calm the fuck down. I know. Um, <laughs> but I, I mean, I think season seven is going to be accessible for anybody who wants to watch it, whether or not they've watched the rest of the Clone Wars, I, I absolutely think that. I mean, it's it's just such a natural point for honestly people to enter this story because they're gonna have to reintroduce Ahsoka anyway because she and Anakin have been estranged for so long, so. and they're gonna have to reintroduce Maul too because even like honestly, the last we saw of Maul in Clone Wars was him getting taken captive by Sidious, yeah. and I think. Only the most hardcore of hardcore fans have read Son of Dathomir and know that, you know, he, I mean, it's not, the comic's been out for 10 years at this point. Like, how he escapes Sidious and what happens to him after and how he gets back to Mandalore. Right. And, like, what happens to the Shadow Collective and everything. Right. So, like, there's, there's, like, they're going to need to recap these stories and it's like, it's kind of like we were saying with Solo, like... And even, like, people who have seen it, you know, like, they don't remember every goddamn thing that's happened, so exactly. that's fine, too. And it's kind of like what we were saying yeah. with Solo, where, like... That's why we're going to rewatch yep. it. What we want, what, what we're hoping Star Wars becomes is that all these stories are interconnected, are interconnected, but they feel like you can jump in at any point, and that can be your jumping-off point. 
Totally. And I do think that, you know, again, you know, we'll see in a year. I hope that this will prove to be a great jumping off point if people want it to be for them to go back and explore. Um, I hope that every future movie and series will be that. Um, and I think this is a great opportunity. Mm-hmm. spider Mall. Spider. I love you. <laughs> All right. Well, after we've waxed poetic. <laughs> no, no, I'm not done yet. Here, okay, sorry. Oh, keep going, Kate. <laughs> um, so just real quickly, um, obviously there's going to be... They've been setting out this for a while, so there's going to be some other media tie-ins to um, the Clone Wars coming back that they haven't revealed yet. Um, again, we're recording this on July 19th, and so uh, the publishing panel um, on Star Wars books is happening tomorrow, so we won't be talking about that right now because it hasn't happened yet. But, um, you know, what books do you think might come out of this or, you know, other shit? <laughs> I mean, you said one earlier that I think is right, so I'm going to let you say it. Which one? The Young Padme. Oh, yeah. Stop talking off pod. <laughs> no, no talking to your wife off pod. Um, so yeah. a few months back, I think it was in the spring, there was a rumor going around that them, there was a YA Padme book coming, um, which has not yet been announced. We're not sure if it's real, obviously, because it hasn't been officially announced, but it would make sense now, certainly. And with Padme, Padme also getting reintroduced into the books with their own alliances, um, all that would fit in. I would love a YA Padme book. I think that'd be really fun. Um, I, I honestly have no idea. Yeah. And I love that because like I would, cool. I, I would have thought, frankly, that it like going into this panel, I thought slash hoped that we would get a, a Blu-ray box set for Clone Wars because that doesn't exist, weirdly. And I want it. Um, and I want it. <laughs> um, and, and some Clone Wars related novels. I thought at that point we might get something Siege of Mandalore related. At this point, clearly that's not the case because they're going to do that on the show. Um, so I don't know. I love it. I love being surprised. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I'm really excited. I don't have any like other media tie-ins except for, um, I want everyone to feel the way that I felt the first time that I watched, uh, the prequels again after I finished watching the Clone Wars. Uh, (laughs) The Clone Wars just saves, I mean, Attack of the Clones should have been Clone Wars, but that's beside the point. But also it just makes Revenge of the Sith so fucked up oh yeah it's brutal yeah we don't mean to belabor this point anybody who's ever watched talk to someone who's watched clone wars is like you really need to watch clone wars so you can understand the prequel except for like (laughs) it's it really does enrich your viewing and yeah it it does a lot to make those movies something that they probably could not be if you did not have all this other super rich backstory. Yeah. So that's my two cents. I just hope it, it drives more people to go back and be like, oh, maybe I'll watch the Clone Wars. And then they'll watch the prequels and they'll be like, oh my God, when did I start caring about all of these characters? Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, we we love the prequels because of the Clone Wars and because we kind of love to make fun of them while drunk and because, you know, they're, they're, they are the Star Wars movies that we came up with and, and all of that. But also, you know, if you're a person who, like, doesn't love the prequels or would love a reason to like the prequels or, you know, whatever the hell else, watch the Clone Wars and then, like, roll over back to watch the movies. Um, and you don't, and, like, 
anybody who wants to watch the Clone Wars and is kind of overwhelmed, like, at me on Twitter, and I will give you, like, I think it was, like, Kotaku or something, um, has this, is that what it's called? That That is a website. I don't know what you're talking about. Um. Oh, I know what you're talking oh, about. Oh, they, yeah. they have this, so I, I just trying to make sure I get the name of the re- website right so I didn't sound <laughs> racist. Um, <laughs> uh, they have this uh, list of essential Clone Wars episodes. Um, so if you don't, if you want to, you know, get, I guess, like, the most bang for your buck, you that, that list exists, and I'm happy to hand, hand out that old link to people. Um, but really just watch the whole thing you you need to get the full effect it's like it's 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 great <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think when i rewatch i'm gonna do it in the chronological order which if you uh, know anything uh, about clone wars it's out of order so yes i think i'm gonna do it in chronological order um so if y'all are rewatching and want to do that that is, the chronological order of that is on the official star wars website somewhere just google it or it's on it's um, on wikipedia too yeah, it is on Wikipedia. It's, but I think, like, didn't St- Star Wars proper, like, <laughs> release something <laughs> that shows all of them in order? I, I think they might have. I think that might I think, I think that might be where Wikipedia, like, picked it up from, so. A- anyway, yeah. if you Google um, Clone Wars correct order or whatever the fuck, that'll come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, George, what shall we do? <laughs> all right. All right. Well... Now that you've heard us wax poetic about Clone Wars for longer than you expected for a book pod. Um, You're welcome, y'all. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I want to apologize. We haven't had the opportunity before. Um, Anyway, this takes us to the end of Catalyst, or took us to the end of Catalyst about half an hour ago. Um, But thank you for reading along with us. Our next book, as we announced last episode, is going to be Last Shot by Dana Jose Older. Uh, And we are going to be reading the start of the book through the end of part one for this first week. Uh, so that's what we're reading. Uh, unfortunately, Last Shot does not have chapter numbers, so that's why we're reading all the way through part one. Um, in the meantime, hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. I hope the Instagram is fixed by the time this come out comes out. Tumblr, uh, at BookWarsPod on all those platforms. BookWarsPod at gmail.com if you want to email us. And please do uh, rate, review, and subscribe to both us and the Tashi Station Radio Mega Feed. And we announced last week, and this is... Uh, Presumably, we won't have enough people uh, reviews yet, so this is still going. Uh, if you want a chance to win a free, free uh, <laughs> uh, copy of Most Wanted by Ray Carson, uh, you all you have to do is go on iTunes and leave us a review. Not just a rating, a review. It can be one sentence, it can be ten paragraphs, but a review... Um, if it's 10 paragraphs, I'll do a dramatic reading on air. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, uh, so, and if you if you review the show and either your we can tell who you are by your the name you leave the review by or you just DM us a screenshot, uh, you will be entered to win our free copy of Most Wanted. Um, whenever When we get to 20 reviews, I think we're at nine right now. We're at nine right now, so pick it up! We're at nine and one of- and we're at nine and one of them is a troll review so we probably won't include that person we won't include that person but for the sake of giving away this book we'll count it they don't have a chance of winning the book but no absolutely uh, why i want to send them i want to send them like a crate of star wars books that they won't enjoy that sounds really great <laughs> just give them a lot of mickey mouse paraphernalia oh my fucking god um but anyway so review on specifically on itunes and send us a screenshot 
In the meantime, please donate if you are so inclined and have the resources to the Tashi Station Radio Patreon. It really helps us cover our hosting and production costs. And please give to us, uh, please give us coffee at coffee.com slash bookwarspod. It's K-O-F-I, which we never say. So while the the dash is gone from Tashi Station Radio, it is not gone from coffee. K-O-F-I.com slash bookwarspod. That is correct. And um, if we reach 100 bucks, which is how much it costs us to um, have the recording software for this podcast, we will make some kind of swag to give away at Star Wars Celebration. Like, y'all like pins, right? Sickers, we'll do that, but only if we get to 100 bucks, because, listen, we can't fucking pay for cast and then also make you a fucking barrel of buttons at the same time, like, that's right. All our our spare money goes to avocados, so. (laughs) (laughs) I smear it right on toast, and then I don't buy a house, it's great. Yep! Uh, No, really though, we have, like, a lot of toys, I'm probably not gonna give away any of my toys, but I'll think about it. (laughs) (laughs) And also, anytime you give us coffee, I will post a picture of our hamster on Instagram. Worth it. He's really cute. Anyway, thank you for listening to this episode of the Book Wars Pod. Our theme song is Whiz Bang by Poddington Bear. Our logo and artwork are by Joe Butera Design. Uh, for Kate and Kristen, uh, hashtag Clone Wars saved, and we'll talk to you next week. Ahsoka! That's why I like being the editor, because I'm like, I can edit up the stupid things that I say, and then no one can hear them.